Hello and welcome to Timeless Files, a fan podcast for the TV show Timeless. I'm your host, Chris Butler. Promotion of the new episodes of Timeless is in full swing now, at least by Sony. The title has been revealed, The Miracle of Christmas, Parts 1 and 2. Lots of entertainment sites and magazines are covering the return of Timeless. Lots of photos are appearing, most of them don't look especially Christmassy, but they do look very timelessy, which is what counts. Much as I would like to avoid spoilers, if you're online at all, you can't really help gleaning some clues as to what's coming. But the actual events of the story are still very much under wraps. At the end of this podcast, I'm going to speculate a little bit about what I think these two new episodes could do. But before that, I'm here to talk about Season 2, Episode 9, The General. In the UK, this was shown separately from Episode 10. They were broadcast a week apart from each other. For me, Episode 9 is the weaker of the two, but only because Episode 10 is just such a stellar episode. But Episode 9 does have lots of good stuff in it, including some important developments for Gia. Okay, let's talk about Season 2, Episode 9. The General. The episode starts in Beaufort County, South Carolina, June the 1st, 1863. A Colonel Ryerson is told he has a visitor. In walks Emma Whitmore. She offers him a cheeseburger, something he clearly hasn't seen or eaten in a long time. He complains that there is no letter or photo from his wife. Emma tells him a nearby Union regiment is about to raid the plantations along the Combahee River. He is to stop them. She hands him a book, A Military History of the Civil War, and tells him all the information he needs is in there. She tells him if he pulls this off, he can be back home with his wife and all the cheeseburgers he can eat. Which suggests he is another sleeper agent who doesn't really want to be a sleeper agent, but has been coerced into it by Rittenhouse. We cut to a night scene in the present. Carol Preston and Nicholas Keynes climb out of a car. He asks her why she's brought him here. She says to talk about Emma. He says he knows Emma and Carol have issues. Carol says she doesn't care about that, but despite what she says, it is definitely about that. She makes it clear she knows Nicholas and Emma are sleeping together, and she says she thinks Emma has been sabotaging the missions, such as the one with the suffragette movement in 1919. It's true that Emma did sabotage that mission, but it was the only time... It's interesting that Carol is savvy enough to spot this and spin it as Emma being generally untrustworthy. Carol tells Nicholas, Rittenhouse is about family and legacy, and that is something Emma will never understand. Nicholas sees that Carol has brought him to the gravestone of his daughter, Ruth Keynes Preston, born 1913, died 1978, this being Carol's mother. Nicholas never saw her grow up. She was only two when he left. Carol tells him he sacrificed everything for Rittenhouse, for his daughter and for Carol. Emma isn't family and she doesn't believe in him like Carol does. It's interesting to look back at this conversation in light of what happens between Carol, Nicholas and Emma in episode 10. But that's something for next time. We cut to the bunker where Agent Christopher and Connor Mason have brought together Wyatt, Lucy and Rufus. They've deliberately left Flynn out of this. Mason shows them a photo of Jessica, one of hundreds they found on the Rittenhouse computers, stretching all the way back to her childhood. So Rittenhouse has been following Jessica for her entire life. Wyatt asks, why would they do that? Agent Christopher says... That's what they've been trying to find out for the last week. Wyatt immediately goes on the defensive now. He's angry that he's only just being told this. I think it's important to realise that Wyatt has had his own doubts about Jessica, particularly because of her brother, but he's still in denial about it. We know this as viewers of the show, but none of the other characters know it. 
Agent Christopher says Rittenhouse brought Jessica back from the dead for a reason. They don't really know who she is. Then we get a little exchange between these characters that actually tells you everything you need to know about Jessica. But you might not realise it the first time you see this scene. Wyatt says they do know who Jessica is. She's his wife. He's known her since high school. But Mason says, no, Wyatt. To be precise, you knew a Jessica who sadly passed away. This Jessica could be different. Wyatt and Lucy look at each other, but neither of them say anything. Christopher asks Wyatt, do you have any reason at all to suspect Jessica of anything? He only says, this is insane. Lucy kind of takes his side at this point. She says, if Jessica were written house, wouldn't she have tried to kill them by now, or given up their location? Wyatt is thankful for someone backing him up, but actually he is making a massive mistake here, because as I've said, he does have doubts. He just can't bear to face the fact that his doubts could be true. And there are reasons for this, which he does talk about later in the episode, so it's something I'll come back to. Agent Christopher wants to move Jessica out of the bunker, for her own safety and for theirs. But Lucy thinks if she's not written how she'll be in more danger outside the bunker. Wyatt insists she's not going anywhere. And then he drops the bombshell that Jessica is pregnant, which is news to everyone. He says if she goes, he goes. And he storms off angrily, leaving everyone else to come to terms with what's just been said. Lucy and Rufus look completely stunned. At that moment, the alarm sounds, signalling that the mothership is in flight. When Rufus realises the mothership has landed in the Civil War again, he is not pleased. They try to figure out why Rittenhouse would have gone there. It's Rufus who suggests it could be the Combahee River raid. Flynn has a dig at Lucy for not being the one to come up with this. But she does know it. She explains that a regiment of mostly black Union soldiers planned a surprise attack on dozens of plantations in the middle of the night and freed hundreds of slaves. If Rittenhouse stops it, it's a serious blow to the Union. Perhaps more importantly, the raid was led by Harriet Tubman, abolitionist, political activist. During the war, Tubman was a Union spy known as the General. Hence the title of this episode. So they decide Rittenhouse intend to stop Tubman and the raid. They prepare to leave in the lifeboat. Wyatt warns Agent Christopher that Jessica better be there when he gets back. She says he has her word. Before they leave, Wyatt has time to talk to Jessica. He asks if she'll be okay. She says she's not the one she's worried about, but she'll be fine. He says she's got to tell her family the good news soon. She agrees. As soon as they get out of this dank, rusty hellhole, she'll send out invitations for the baby shower. He apologises that she's stuck there. He tells her she'll see her family soon, that he wants to see them too. He says he hasn't even met her brother. She tells him it's weird that he keeps asking about her brother. Wyatt says it is kind of weird that he's alive. She says, so is she, and that's a good thing, right? He says yes, of course. She tells him she doesn't remember how her brother was saved because she was just a kid too. Would Wyatt rather he had died? Uh, Wyatt says, of course not, and he apologises. They discuss whether they want a boy or a girl. Wyatt would be happy with either. Jessica wants a girl. She says if it's a boy, they'll keep trying until they get a girl. He says she is truly awful and kisses her. He has to leave to go on the mission. She tells him to be careful. The credits are on screen during this scene. This episode is written by Matt Whitney. Matt previously wrote Season 1, Episode 8, Space Race. He co-wrote Season 1, Episode 15 with Anselm Richardson. That was Public Enemy number 1. And he wrote Season 2, Episode 3, Hollywood Land. This episode is directed by John F. Showalter. For some reason, the F is missing this episode. He's just credited as John Showalter. 
Definitely the same guy, though, who has directed three other episodes of Timeless. Season 1, episode 10, The Capture of Benedict Arnold. Season 1, episode 12, The Murder of Jesse James. And season 2, episode 3, Hollywood Land. John is directing both of the forthcoming new episodes, and based on past performance, I would expect him to do a fantastic job. The lifeboat travels to 1863. The next scene is Lucy and Wyatt dressed in period costumes. Lucy tries to defend Agent Christopher. Rittenhouse took photos of Jessica for a reason. She says they have to keep an open mind. Wyatt angrily asks her if she really thinks his wife is a cold-blooded traitor. Maybe she thinks Jessica is lying about the pregnancy too. And the look on her face tells him she does think that could be the case. I think it's incredibly disappointing for Wyatt that Lucy doesn't just support him on this. But really there is no strong reason why she should. He walks away from her. Flynn and Rufus join Lucy. Flynn says, what's up with Captain Sunshine? Flynn never misses a chance to have a dig at Wyatt. But to be fair, he doesn't know what's going on. The time team soon discover the Union soldiers who were supposed to carry out the Combahee raid. Unfortunately, they're all dead, except for one wounded soldier. Time has already been altered. The wounded man has fatal injuries and begs them to kill him. They hesitate, but then a shot rings out and the man is killed. They all turn around and realise that Harriet Tubman fired the shot. She has two men with her. Rufus is relieved to see that she is still alive. She says they won't be for long. Who the hell are they? They claim General McClellan sent them to help Harriet and Colonel Montgomery with the raid. Harriet says she thought they looked familiar. Has she seen them before? The idea that Harriet knows something about the time team becomes significant later on. But Flynn says no, they're from very far away to the north. Harriet says, well, you're late. They were attacked and Colonel Montgomery retreated and took all of his men with him. She still has some men and says that she intends to carry on with the raid. Wyatt explains he's hunting a Confederate spy who led the attack here. He asks her to stand down temporarily while they do their job and find this spy. But Harriet Tubman isn't even going to consider that. She says he can go with her, but if he gets in her way, she'll shoot him herself. Rufus notes that Harriet Tubman is hardcore, which is definitely an understatement. We cut back to the bunker and Gia and Mason. Gia marches up to Mason and says she wants to meet Stanley Fisher. Mason says he doesn't know who that is. Gia says he's the former time machine pilot Mason has had locked up in a mental hospital, the one who has had similar visions to her, the one Mason has hidden from her and from Rufus. This follows up on a conversation between Mason and Agent Christopher back in the Hollywoodland episode, which was written and directed by the same team as this episode where Mason revealed there was a previous pilot who had had similar symptoms to Gia, which Mason described at the time as a severe schizophrenia. I was really hoping the show would revisit this and expand on it, and that's exactly what's happening here, which is great. It's another example of how carefully constructed the timeless story is. Gia demands that Mason take her to see Fisher. Mason says, why? and Gia says because maybe he can help her to understand her visions, and then she can help Rufus. Mason realises that Gia has hacked into his laptop to get this information. He insists he's been trying to protect her, and she won't learn anything from Stanley Fisher. She says she doesn't need protection, she needs answers. Eventually he gives in and says he'll ask Agent Christopher if they can leave the bunker. 
After he's gone, Gia says, that went better than I thought. It's good to see Gia being pushy like this. You get the feeling that even she wasn't necessarily expecting Mason to agree. And I think this part of the story lays the groundwork for some of the decisions she makes and the actions she takes in episode 10. Flynn and Lucy are discussing Harriet Tubman. Lucy says despite everything she did, Tubman didn't get a military pension and eventually dies in poverty. Flynn says if she goes on this raid, she's going to die a lot sooner than that. They get word that the Rebs are at a plantation not far away. Harriet is all for freeing the slaves at the plantation, which will give her another hundred men. But they are unarmed and fighting soldiers with guns. Lucy persuades Harriet that they need to find the Confederate spy or they're going to lose every battle they ever fight. Reluctantly, Harriet agrees to help them before freeing the slaves. She says they go at dark. We cut briefly to Colonel Ryerson, who is celebrating his victory and planning the next one. We haven't seen him for a while in this episode, and I think this scene mainly just serves to remind us who Ryerson is, and that he has this advantage of future knowledge. We see his History of the Civil War book again. Lucy goes to see Wyatt. He's been given a rifle by Harriet. He has his own gun, but he can't exactly show that to Harriet. Lucy says they're going in outnumbered three to one. So Wyatt says they'll have to get in and out before things get messy. In this case, messy means Harriet and her men getting slaughtered. Lucy says she has another idea. Wyatt and Rufus go with Harriet, but Lucy and Flynn will go to Colonel Montgomery to convince him to give them the troops they need to do this successfully. Wyatt had been a little more relaxed during this conversation, but the idea of Lucy and Flynn going off together changes that. He's on edge again. She asks him to delay Harriet a few hours until she can come back with troops. He says he'll do his best and he walks away from her. The friction between Lucy and Wyatt in this episode is palpable. I think Lucy is able to rise above what she's feeling and still make tough decisions about what she needs to do to succeed on this mission. Whereas Wyatt is coming apart at the seams. He is undoubtedly a very honourable man, but the situation has become... It's impossible for him to do the right thing, because he doesn't know for sure what that is. He wants Lucy to stand by him and back him up. If she did that, he'd be reassured, but she isn't doing that. They go outside, and she doesn't even let him help her to mount the horse. Still, Wyatt makes sure Flynn knows that he has to protect her. Flynn continues to be super arrogant. He says he can handle a couple of farmers playing soldier. Harriet says Montgomery won't help. He has new orders. But Lucy insists she will be back with the reinforcements and she and Flynn ride away. Wyatt is given a suit to wear. Rufus thinks it makes him look like Colonel Sanders, and he asks for some crispy chicken tenders. Wyatt is asking Harriet again to wait long enough for him to find the spy. Suddenly she says she's realised why they look so familiar. She says God came to her in a dream and told her they were coming. She says the Lord works in mysterious ways. Later in the episode we get more on this. I think it's probably important to know, for context here, that Harriet Tubman did reportedly experience visions or waking dreams, and she did describe them as messages sent by God. To a certain extent, I like that that aspect of her character is shown here, but I'm not particularly thrilled with the way this plays out as the episode progresses. I'll come back to this later. We cut to Gia and Mason as they enter the hospital room of Stanley Fisher. He's in the white-eyed state that we sometimes see with Gia when she has a vision. Mason says he would introduce her, but as she can see, he's not very sociable. 
Mason says that Fisher is like this 95% of the time. Geo realises he's having a vision, but suddenly he wakes up, startling her. He looks at her and says, you're having visions too. Then to Mason he says, still training pilots, I see. Connor says it's out of necessity. Fisher says in his visions he has seen the most evil men in history doing unimaginable things, but Mason is worse. Mason isn't inclined to agree with that. Fisher asks Gia, how many mental trips have you taken? She says she doesn't know. Fisher asks if she's seen any new colours yet, the forbidden colours. She says she doesn't think so. He says she will and she'll love them, which is all very intriguing. We cut back to Wyatt and Rufus. They're standing outside. Rufus reminds Wyatt that they're friends and he has Wyatt's back, but he wants to talk about Jessica. Wyatt tells him to stop. So Rufus says Wyatt is being defensive. Wyatt insists Jessica isn't Rittenhouse. Rufus thinks Wyatt is right, but he says they have to be sure. There is a lot at stake. Wyatt says she can't be. But if it is true, then he's done. He lost her once, he can't lose her again. And I think this is literally true. He can't lose Jessica again, and that is why he can't deal with the situation he's facing. Rufus is just asking Wyatt to consider it. He says if there is anything about her or her family that doesn't add up, just say something. But Wyatt doesn't say anything, and Rufus goes back inside to talk to Harriet. Harriet asks Rufus how long he's been free. He says all his life. She says he's lucky. He looks around and says he knows. He asks her, You said God told you we were coming, that he speaks to you in your dreams. How long have you been having these visions? She says she's had them for years. She talks about travelling out of her body and being shown the path and what she has to do. Rufus says, and God told you to go on this raid, even though the odds are against you? She says she has a right to two things, death or liberty. She means to have one or the other. It's getting dark and it's time for them to go. With this scene coming after the one with Gia and Fisher, and with the way she describes her visions, the implication is that Harriet is having visions in the same way that Gia and Fisher are. And it opens up the notion that there have been others like them throughout time. We cut to Flynn and Lucy. Montgomery is saying that he can't go back to the place they narrowly escaped from at the request of two people he doesn't know who have no official orders and no identification of any kind. Flynn insists they are Union spies and that's why they have no papers. Lucy says Harriet Tubman needs him, and the Union needs Harriet. Lucy explains why, that they need the men Harriet will free to fight other battles ahead. He asks who she is to speak to him this way. She says she's someone who knows what she's talking about. <laughs> Wyatt enters the plantation house where Ryerson and his supporters are partying, I guess would be the best description. Someone speaks to Wyatt. He introduces himself as Rhett Butler, visiting from his plantation in Georgia. Meanwhile, Harriet takes Rufus to meet some of the slaves with the idea of getting Rufus into the house while the slaves will prepare to leave with Harriet. In the house, Wyatt soon discovers that Colonel Ryerson is behind all their successes. He seems to know things no one else knows, so it's obvious that Ryerson is the Rittenhouse sleeper agent. Back with Gia, she asks Fisher if he has visions of the future, 
or visions of changes in the past? It's a confusing question, but he knows what she means. He tells her they can travel in time, without the machine. They've been given a gift from God. He says they're scared of him, that's why they have him here. Mason says, no, he's there because he won't look after himself. Gia tells Fisher something bad is going to happen to someone she cares about. She needs to stop it. She means Rufus, of course. Gia says the vision comes in pieces. Fisher says that's because she's fighting it. She needs to let her mind relax, let herself go on a mental trip. She needs to find a quiet place where she can focus on the visions. And after a while she'll get better at falling into them. Like this, he says, and then he falls into the white-eyed state again. Gia is dismayed that this is the end of the conversation. She says she has more questions. But Mason persuades her that they're not going to get anything more from him for now. Before they go, Mason tells Fisher he's so sorry, and it seems that he's very genuine about it. Rufus has made his way into the plantation house. Wyatt pulls him aside to tell him that he's found the sleeper agent. There's a running gag that Rufus isn't impressed with Wyatt's attempt at an accent. But outside, Harriet Tubman is discovered escorting some slaves away from the plantation, mostly children. The man who finds her is overconfident and talks about teaching them their place. He has a gun on her the whole time, but in the blink of an eye she shoots and kills him. As soldiers rush out of the house to investigate the gunfire, Wyatt and Rufus have their chance to go after Ryerson. But he sees them and recognises them and he orders his men to kill them. So they take cover as the bullets start flying. But Wyatt has the better gun, a Glock 9mm versus Colt 6 shotguns, and he quickly takes out everyone except Ryerson, and Ryerson only has one bullet left, but he takes a woman as a hostage and threatens to kill her. So they have a standoff. Ryerson wants his bag back, which has the History of the Civil War book in it, but Rufus has grabbed the book and he throws it on the fire. Ryerson manages to make a run for it. Wyatt and Rufus chase after him, but Ryerson runs straight into the path of Harriet Tubman and she shoots him dead too. And slowly the camera pulls back to reveal that Harriet is now backed up by the reinforcements brought by Lucy and Flynn. As things calm down, Rufus gets to talk to Harriet. He says she's a badass and assures her that's a compliment where he's from. She says she still doesn't know where that is. She says she saw them coming during one of her spells. They were like angels, sent straight from heaven. Rufus asks if her visions always come true. She says not always, sometimes they make no sense at all. Like when he came out of nowhere, it seemed like he stepped out of a giant metal ball. Which is obviously an uncanny thing for her to say. Rufus tells her what an honour it is to have met her. He wishes he could say something to help her, to make money, to make her life easier. She says her only desire is to live free. The rest will work itself out. The lifeboat arrives back in the bunker. Rufus checks online and sees that the Combahee Raid is now known as the Willow Glen Plantation Raid, but otherwise there's no significant change to history. Flynn congratulates Wyatt on the news that Jessica is pregnant. He says Lucy told him about it. As usual, Flynn looks and sounds completely insincere. Wyatt chooses not to reply. On his way to see Jessica, he runs into Lucy. He says, you told Flynn. She says it was a long ride to Port Royal, and he was going to find out anyway. Wyatt says, yeah, whatever. He goes to walk past her, but she grabs him and hugs him for a moment. 
and then they separate. I think I read that the hug was improvised by Abigail and Matt as they were trying different ways of doing this scene. I think it perfectly captures the state of their relationship now. Completely frustrated with each other, but there's no doubt that they still care about each other. The next scene is with Wyatt and Jessica. He's resting his head against her stomach and wondering if he should be able to hear anything yet. She tells him she had a weird conversation with Agent Christopher. Jessica told her she was pregnant and Christopher said she should leave the bunker for the health of the baby. Wyatt says Christopher wasn't supposed to talk about that until he got back. But he says maybe Agent Christopher has a point. He wants life to be normal for Jessica. There will be doctor's appointments, Lamar's classes. Jessica says, but Wyatt won't be there with her. He says he'll be there as often as he can be. He'll check in all the time. She says, he's the one who said it's not safe for her out there. And he's hiding something from her. She knows when he's hiding something. He spent their whole marriage hiding things from her. He swears he's not hiding anything, but I think she does know he's lying. And I think, especially on watching the episode again, it's very clear that whatever Jessica's intent has been throughout all the time she's been in the bunker, which is six episodes at this point, she knows now that her time has run out. She's going to be moved out of the bunker imminently. It's what Agent Christopher wants and Wyatt is probably going to go along with it too. So, in effect, she's been backed into a corner and that is going to force her hand to take action. Rufus finds Gia. It's late at night now. He tells her that Harriet Tubman had visions too. That she saw them coming, saw the lifeboat, swore up and down it was coming from a higher power, God. Gia says, do you believe her? He says he's not ready to go all Pentecostal or anything, but maybe something was sending her and Gia these visions for a reason. Maybe they, he, needs to pay more attention. I was a little bit annoyed by this scene when I first watched the episode because it seemed like Rufus was accepting the idea that God is specifically helping them. It's entirely reasonable that Harriet Tubman would see it that way, and probably Gia too. But Rufus? However, re-watching it, Rufus specifically does not accept that it's God helping them. He says he's not ready to accept that. All he admits is that he needs to pay more attention to what the visions are telling them. I'm sure I've read from at least one of the writers on Timeless, I think it was Erica Lizanne Mittman, that they're not trying to push a religious message with this show. Some of the characters in the show may well take the view that some kind of higher power is helping them, but I don't think they're trying to push that idea beyond that it's a possibility. But in that case, I think it's a shame that Stanley Fisher also talks about the visions being a gift from God. It would have been possible for his character to put forward any number of other interpretations for what he's seeing in his visions. In a show that is so careful in its portrayal of diversity in terms of it being okay to be who you are and to believe what you believe, I personally would be dismayed if they didn't allow for different interpretations or possibilities for where these visions might be coming from. Anyway, back in the scene, Rufus is about to make a terrible mistake with Gia. He says they need to pay more attention to the visions, and Gia says, if I can find a way to see more of the vision, then maybe we can find a way to stop it. Exactly, says Rufus. If we can't run from the vision, we'll run right into it. But he's unaware of what Gia has learned from Fisher and the risk she's taking if she gives herself over to the visions to a greater extent. Sounds like a plan, she says. He's tired and goes off to bed, leaving her alone. 
In the quiet of the bunker, she attempts to go into the vision state and she succeeds immediately. But we don't get to see what she sees as the uh, episode is going into its final moments now. Wyatt wakes up alone in his bed. Confused, he puts on some clothes and wanders through the bunker, wondering where Jessica is. In the distance, he hears the sound of the lifeboat powering up. He goes towards it and sees Gia at the hatch. Then Jessica comes to the hatch and points a gun at Wyatt. She tells him not to come any closer. He tries to ask her what she's doing. She says she is so sorry. The hatch closes. He tries to run up the steps to the lifeboat, but he's blown back as the time machine jumps away. He struggles to sit up and sees that the lifeboat, with Jessica and Gia inside, has gone. And that's the end of the episode. So I've spoken about my reservations about the visions and the way they are being handled in terms of what's driving them. And I remain a bit concerned about how this might play out in the remaining episodes of the show whether that's two more episodes or hopefully many more than that. People love this show and like all the fans, I am certainly hoping for a renewal somewhere down the line. Visions aside, this is a good episode. The actress Christine Horn gives a powerful performance as Harriet Tubman. As a non-American, I didn't know much about the history here, so I enjoyed that aspect. Timeless is so much more than just an adventure show. Its ability to educate can't be stressed enough and I think it's a big part of why the fans are fighting so hard to keep the show going. I think Claudia Dumit is just brilliant, generally, but especially in this episode. Patterson Joseph is also exceptional. Flynn is really annoying in this episode. He has no redeeming qualities whatsoever here as he keeps digging at Wyatt and even at Lucy. Goran Viznich plays this so you can't tell if he's doing this deliberately or by accident, which I find painful and funny all at the same time. Lucy is becoming someone who is even more focused on completing the missions in the best way she can, but taking no enjoyment from it at all. She's disconnected from Wyatt, but she knows how difficult the situation is for him, and that's why the hug was so important. It bridges that gulf between them, if only for a brief moment. And as I've said, Wyatt is in an impossible situation. He can't handle losing Jessica a second time, but that's exactly what's happening to him. And as we'll see in episode 10, the full extent of Rittenhouse's actions with regard to Jessica is just staggering. And that's a topic for next time. That is all in terms of my thoughts on episode 9, but with the broadcast of the new episodes just days away in the States, I want to look forward and speculate on what might happen in those episodes. This will require some spoilers for episode 10, and then just my speculation about what I think might happen in 11 and 12. So if you don't want to hear any of that, stop listening now. Probably the easiest way to start thinking about episodes 11 and 12 is to think about future Wyatt and Lucy. I think they have been fighting to keep history and time on the right path for at least five years, beyond anything we've seen before. I think it will have taken a toll on them. They will be a lot tougher than any version of Wyatt and Lucy we've seen before. I know that from the first casting discussions with Abigail Spencer, they had talked about Lucy Preston becoming more of an action-adventure heroine. And the whole point was that she would evolve into that from a starting point of being almost the complete opposite. So she starts out as a history professor, very clumsy, very sweet in some ways. 
but with a degree of steel underlying it all so that you could believe she would toughen up and become someone who would fight to save history, kick ass and save the world. And Wyatt is the guy who will always stand beside her and will always protect her. One of the key questions is whether Wyatt and Lucy have lived those five years with or without Rufus. I would think that was a major question in the writer's room. If there was no Rufus in those years, and if they're now going to bring him back, will that mean that they will return to a future that has hugely changed? Things will get very timey-wimey if that's the case. Alternatively, they might have come from a future where they've already saved Rufus, and they're here now to make sure that it happens again. Depending on which way the writers have jumped on this, we could get very different episodes, very different story. The Wyatt and Lucy of the present day, I think, will become closer again. I often wonder about the extent to which a romance between them was or was not planned in from the start. I think they intended it to be an element of the show, but not necessarily the driving force for the story. So the writers may have been a bit surprised by the strength of feeling in the fandom for this relationship. It's not everyone's major reason for watching the show, by any means, but it is for quite a lot of people, and some of them are very vocal about it. If the writers didn't know before how important this relationship is to the fans, they certainly do now. So in writing these two new episodes, they have to decide whether to indulge the fans, with full-on kissing in the swimming pool type moments, or to downplay it a little from that. I think they will stay true to the story they've told up to this point, which is that Wyatt and Lucy are in a difficult place right now, and any journey back from that will not be immediate. It will need to be earned somehow. So I would expect a slow build-up if they do get back to the point of being a happy romantic couple again. A problem for Wyatt is that Jessica is still alive. From episode 9 you might think some kind of redemption arc for her is possible, because she does at least say she's sorry, but the events of episode 10 would tend to rule that out. If there was confidence about a season 3 for Timeless, then the writers might have been inclined to keep Jessica in the show for longer, but my feeling now is they're likely to either kill her off or rewrite her history so that Rittenhouse didn't get their claws into her in the first place. But that would be a big change to the timeline. It would wipe out most of season two for anyone who was not in the lifeboat at the point that history changed. Which begs the question, would Wyatt want to be in that lifeboat or not? I'm assuming, for the purposes of these two episodes, that Emma is going to be running Rittenhouse, and her agenda probably bears little resemblance to any previous agenda Rittenhouse might have had. For her, it's not about family legacy in the way that it was for Carol Preston and Nicholas Keynes. Emma wants money and power. She might want to mess with history for that reason, but she has no other purpose. Although... If she were pregnant by Nicholas Keynes, that might change things for Emma. In that circumstance, it would be about family and handing on the Rittenhouse legacy to their child. Because Annie Wershing was pregnant in real life, I think a pregnancy for Emma Whitmore is a definite possibility. My prediction is that Jessica is not pregnant and is not going to survive these two episodes. I think she will betray Emma in some way, and Emma will kill her. And Emma herself might also die, killed by either Wyatt or Flynn. If the writers are optimistic that season three could happen, then Emma might end up in prison rather than dead. And in fact, that could be one way to judge how much optimism there is about season three. What of Flynn, then? Well, what he's always wanted is to get his wife and child back. Is that possible? 
Well, yes, but it would have to happen in such a way that Flynn's own personal history doesn't change because he's now been so involved in the fight against Rittenhouse. But if he were to be in a time machine and he saved them, then their history could be changed, while his would stay the same. So it is possible. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if we do see that. If Flynn is not going to get his family back, then it would be nice to see him at least get his revenge on the people who killed them. Lucy tried to give him that information at the end of season one, but then he was arrested. I'm sure Agent Christopher could still get that information to him if she wanted to. One scene I definitely expect to see is future Lucy giving Flynn her journal in Sao Paulo, Brazil. We've been told about this, I think we're going to see it, and I'm really looking forward to that. I don't think there will be any major story arc for Mason and Agent Christopher. We only have two hours. I think they will support the team as they always do. They will have a role to play, but I don't anticipate them undergoing any major life-changing moments. But I could be wrong. What about Rufus and Gia then? Logically, if Rufus is to be saved, then they have to go back in time to before his demise. How much further back? Seconds? Days? If they undo his death, will they also undo what happened to Carol Preston, Nicholas Keynes? There's been no indication that the actors are in these episodes, but it could be that the production has just been very careful to keep it as a surprise but I don't think they will bring back either Carol or Nicholas. So how will they save Rufus without doing that? Well, an interesting question is, why have future Wyatt and Lucy arrived at the bunker? Why wouldn't they just save Rufus themselves? It implies that for some reason they need present-day Wyatt and Lucy. Or they need Jeer or Flynn. When they said... You guys want to get Rufus back or what? Who exactly were they talking to? One thing's for sure, I don't expect Rufus to stay dead for long. We've only got two hours and we want lots of Rufus in those two hours. So I think he'll be back quite quickly. And I expect there to be consequences. You don't get to change history and there'd be no consequences. What form that might take, I don't think I can predict, but I can't wait to see. Rufus and Gia is, of course, the other big romance on the show. I think the two of them will be in a good place at the end of this. I can't see it ending tragically again. There is the story potential for Gia to get lost in her visions in the same way that Stanley Fisher has, but I don't expect to see that unless we get season three. What I think we will see is Gia being a very active part of the team, I think she has grown stronger through season two in the same way that Lucy has. In fact, you could argue more so than Lucy has. Overall, even though there is still hope for season three and huge potential for the story to continue, what I think the writers will try to do is to bring to an end the story that has been told through seasons one and two. I don't think we will get a massive cliffhanger. We might get something subtle, like a hint that Rittenhouse still has plans to do bad things. But I think the writers will want, most of all, to tell the story they wanted to tell from the beginning. It's why, for example, I think we will see Lucy give the journal to Flynn. If we don't see that, I think the writers will feel like we should have. I don't know how many of the season two writers' room were able to come back for these episodes... It's one of the things I'm most interested to discover. I know Lauren Greer and Erica Lizanne Mitman have written the episodes. I know Sean Ryan was involved. I know that Matt Whitney, who wrote The General and Hollywoodland, was not involved, but has seen the episodes and is full of praise for them. I know Eric Kripke was kind of busy with his film, The House with the Clock in Its Walls, but I'm sure he would have at least consulted on the story and read the scripts. We also know that NBC specifically asked for a Christmas theme and for the episodes to be delivered in time to be shown at Christmas. 
and that the writers were very happy to accommodate that. It does feel to me like the episodes had to be made incredibly fast, but in TV I guess they're used to working at this sort of pace. There are other mysteries embedded in the show, like who saved Lucy from drowning when she was at college, who was the woman who comforted Agent Christopher after her father died, but since there doesn't have to be a time-travelling reason for these events, I don't think the scripts will go there. Not in these two episodes. One thing that has become apparent since season two first aired is that the idea of future Lucy has been around for a long time. That they actually had a scene in the pilot episode which showed that future Lucy was able to travel within her own timeline. They very wisely decided to cut that out and save it for later. But one very interesting thing would be if they now show that future Lucy and maybe future Wyatt have been involved in other elements of the story where we didn't realise it before. Even with all this story to tell, all this story potential for the lead characters for the show, I do expect that these two episodes will be conventional episodes of Timeless, in the sense that Rittenhouse will be trying to change history for a reason, and the time team will be there to stop Rittenhouse from doing that. And I expect to see some interesting periods in time and history, and interesting characters from those times. At this point, I just can't wait to see these episodes and to see how much of it aligns with my own thoughts on where they might go and what they might do. And that is all for this episode of Timeless Files. Next time I'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 10, Chinatown, and of course I'll be talking about 11 and 12 soon after that. As always, thank you for listening. All the podcasts so far are available on the site, timelessfiles.podbean.com or in all the usual podcasting places, including iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can find me on Twitter at, at @timelessfiles. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.